I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole. The old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know. beginning of life and there's an end of life and everything in between there's this little dash so here johnny cash at the end of his life is the last thing that he sings and performs he's looking back over the dash of his life and he's looking at the hurts that he's caused the hurts that he's himself struggled with and thinking about the ways that he has medicated and dealt with the scars of life over the last few weeks as we've been dealing with this 
talking about and thinking about this idea of scars. We've dealt with fear and anxiety. We've dealt with shame. We've dealt with depression. And this morning, I want us to, to dig into this idea of addictions. And again, as we've talked about, the scars of life, most of them are here on the outside. We can quickly show you we've had knee surgery or we've when we were riding our bike or fell or we did something and we've had some surgery. So we have a scar and we have a story. And those are usually fun things. Maybe something you can say, hey, don't do this because you're going to get scarred. But in reality, the longer that we live life, that we understand that the scars on the outside are nothing compared to the scars that we've experienced on the inside. That those are the deeper scars, those are the longer lasting scars, those are the scars that hurt more and that we struggle with more. And in many ways, the things that we've talked about the last few weeks with fear and shame and depression and guilt and and some of that, those scars lead to what we're talking about today, which is addictions, that we have these scars that are deep and that are painful, and so we want to overcome them. We want to to live life with some comfort and some peace. And so what do we do? Our natural thing to do then is to, in seeking peace and joy in our humanity, is to medicate. Now, here's one of the things that I also know as being a pastor and a youth pastor for 20-something years now is that I have come to believe that every single person in this room is an addict. That every single person that lives life for any length for some time, some time is an addict. That we will and we do run to things to medicate ourselves and to bring peace, to bring joy, to bring comfort to ourselves in the midst of stress, in the midst of grief, in the midst of whatever it is that we are running from that we're running to. And so this morning, that's the the premise that I want us to kind of grasp is that if you are human and you're here this morning, that you could, we could gather around in a circle and say, hi, my name is Chris and I am an addict. And then we could list off what we're addicted to. Now, as a pastor, because I believe that, one of the things that I am passionate about is seeing you, if we can be addicted, if we have addictive personalities, then the thing as a pastor that I want you to be addicted to is Jesus. Because I know from my own experience and the experiences of others is that that is what, that is who brings you peace. That is who brings you joy. That is what met, what your what gives you life to its fullest meaning and that you can experience what you're pursuing in other ways that addicts you, you can experience that through Jesus without shame, pain, regret. And the consistently of, like, that's not going to fulfill, that's not going to be enough. And the consistent pursuit of more of whatever you're addicted to. So this morning, in just a minute, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and thinking about what does it mean to be addicted and, and to take care of our bodies and all that. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But Here's kind of a a clinical definition of addiction. Any thinking or behavior that is habitual, repetitious, and difficult or impossible to overcome. So in other words, that you, you just, you run to it. Whenever life gets difficult and stress, all that stuff builds, you have something that you run to. Whatever that may be, that that is your addiction. What are some of the addictions that we commonly know? Obviously there's illegal drugs. We have all of that, and there's currently, actually, there's only one nation in all the world that has no illegal drugs, and that's Portugal. And uh, they're doing kind of an interesting thing, and they've made everything legal, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about. But their actual drug abuse and addiction has dropped by 
because of some of the things that they've done. So that's a whole other thing that you can study and think about. But illegal drugs, prescription drugs, we know that opioids and all that stuff is a, is a growing concern. Nicotine, whether that's smoking or dipping or whatever, the new ways to put nicotine in your body, vaping, all of that. Food, no one's addicted to food, right? Baptists, we're none of us are addicted to food. That's why we have potlucks. Shopping, this thing called Netflixing. Have y'all heard of this? This new thing where you can binge watch. Did you know that? That you can medicate your mind in the busyness of life and binge watch Hannah Montana or whatever it is that you binge watch. Sorry, I gave away a secret of mine. I'm just kidding. Gambling. You can actually be addicted to fitness. You know that that's my addiction. It's fitness. Randy cannot keep me out. He's always changing the code to the gym to keep me out. Work. Sex. Alcohol. There's all kinds of things that we run to to medicate and to cover over and to deal with the scars. The, the causes of all of these things that we run to them, some of them are our role models. So we've learned these behaviors from our parents or our grandparents or or someone, and it's been a, a safe place necessarily for us, or in some way. And so they've taught us these behaviors. And so when they were under stress, when life was not what they were hoping it was going to be, and, and all that, they would run to alcohol. They would run to whatever. And even there's times that I sit with people that are addicted to things, and they're like, I didn't want to be like my parents. Or I didn't want to be like my brother and sister, whatever. They, the very thing that they hated is the very thing that they're addicted to because they just have learned that behavior. And have fallen into that trap. So the role models that sometimes when our peers influence us and we kind of get into a way of life. Again, some of the things over the last few weeks that we've dealt with that lead us to guilt and anxiety and depression and all these different things. Again, we seek after medicating because we're tired of not feeling or feeling whatever we're feeling. And so we want something else. As a matter of fact, one of the growing um, addictions that's, that's growing more and more rapidly is cutting over the last 10, 15 years is cutting because there are so many young people that are saying, I can't feel anything, so I'm going to cut myself so I can at least feel something. I can't wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my brain around it, but it's, it's a growing thing. I think part of it is, I think, is that we now have a culture that's bored. And so you can literally ask someone, hey, how are you feeling, whatever, and they would say, listen, I'm just bored. And so what that means is they don't have hope or purpose or meaning in their life. And so we have 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds that can literally look us in the face and say to us, I am bored. Now, in the old days, this is sounding old, right? In the old days, we thought you're bored. You have this, 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 and this. I had a stick, and I walked uphill in the snow both ways, you know, all this stuff. And, and But we literally have a culture that has every single thing. We have more money and more technology and more stuff at our disposal than ever before. And we have a culture that's bored. I think some of that is because we haven't given them a purpose and a meaning. And we've rescued and all. That's a whole other deal. But anyway, that's my book. Um, but boredom. And then the other part of this is also perfection. Is that if you're a perfectionist, that... You're setting yourself up for failure because we know that all of us are imperfect people. And in our pursuit of perfection, that very moment that we don't achieve perfection, we automatically then fail. And so then we begin to get into this thing of we're just failing and we fail over and over and over again. 
And so then again, we begin to medicate or if we're on the other side of that. We have a low self-esteem and we could never do anything right to begin with. And maybe you've been told that or you've bought that lie. And so again, when you've met the expected behavior of, of not doing right or doing well and failing, then you, that's what you're about. And so you medicate again. And so you just run to things to find peace and joy and happiness. And so we see this these causes, and you see the effects that either you've had it impact your own personal life individually or your family life or someone in your life, and you, and you see it happening, and, and then you see the, the effects that's, that's going on. And so there's this, this growing preoccupation with it. that they're, they're trying to hide it. Then when they begin to know that this is something that's of importance and value and that they know that it's not an accepted behavior, they begin to get preoccupied, and they find ways to sneak this or to do that. And so then this begins this snowball effect. And then it's at that point that we can begin to justify and begin to say, hey, this addiction, this behavior that's outside of the norm and that's unhealthy only impacts me. It doesn't impact my wife. It doesn't impact my husband. It doesn't impact my kids or my friends or anyone else. And then we wake up a few weeks, a few months, a few years later, and we're at the end of our rope, so to speak, and we realize that not only has it, has it impacted me, but it's impacted everyone around me. That this ripple effect of addiction doesn't just stop here, but it ripples out around everyone around that loves us and that most of the people around us that love us, as they see this addiction grow and the unhealthiness of the addiction grow, the question that everyone's asking but no one wants to ask is, how low is low? What is the bottom? What is the pit that my loved one has to get into? And so I've sat across from some of you and others over the years, and I've asked that question. How low is low going to be? And if it's your kid or if it's your brother or your sister or maybe even your parent, the thing that we fear the most is is that low is death. Because it could be. And so we try to rescue and we try to do different things because our heart's desire is for our loved ones to not run to these things, but to run to the Jesus that we know. And so this morning, I want us to just think about this through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is what does it look like for us to run after Jesus and to pursue him in the midst of craziness? Because this is real life. Am I right? I mean, the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks of of fear and of shame and of depression and of this. This is real life stuff. And so actually some of my preacher friends are like, dude, I can't believe you're talking about this stuff. And I'm like, if I can't talk about this, then what is there that I can talk about? Because if the Bible is relevant to life, then it's relevant to all things in life. And so even that maybe the church has said are the outskirts, the ghetto, the slum of whatever, when we reality, let's be honest, all of us are here and all of us are addicted to something. Push all of us. We may clean up, but we have stuff that we're pushing away and always constantly fighting not being addicted to. Like my, my addiction is evident. I like Whataburger. You've heard me talk about I'm confessing to you. I like food more than working out. So that's my attention, right? Get on the treadmill and do that stuff. All of us have those things. What do you run to? Because every day in the midst of stress, I have two options. I can go to the gym or I can go to food. And unfortunately, 
food is easier. This is an easier exercise than this. All right? So let's delve into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, Corinth was a crazy place. It was a big city, a growing city. And they had all kinds of options to be addicted to. All kinds of options for addictions. And so here in the midst of this crazy city, Paul had, the gospel had come. And so a small group had begun to profess the name of Jesus Christ. And so this small group is beginning to live life in a city that everything about the city was against the Christian life. And so they're trying to live life differently. They're trying to be set apart. They're trying to, to run from the addictions and the things that are easily accessible to them that they've had because they now know that those things don't bring freedom, don't bring life. And so now here they are trying to, to figure this stuff out. And Paul is kind of giving them some counsel and some advice and some deep teaching. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's been talking about here's some things that, that, that make you look different than everyone else. And, and that one of the things for us as Christians even today is the struggle is what does it mean for us to be Christians and what does it mean for us to look and act and think differently than the rest of the culture? Because the pressure is for us in living in the real world when we go to school, when we go to work, when we go out with our friends, is to be like everyone else. But then to also flesh out this thing of what does it mean to be a Jesus follower and a disciple of him. And if we are Jesus followers and disciples of Jesus, theoretically, there should be something different about us. We are to be set apart. We are to be different. And so we are to be swimming upstream against culture. So that's our context, but this is also the context for the church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, in the church of Corinth, they had the main place of worship was the church of Aphrodite, which was the goddess of love. And the goddess of love, the very thing that they was a part of worship was it was literally a sex cult. Okay, so they are going to church and it is radically different than this church. Okay. This was like TVMA stuff, right? And so they're going, and so in the midst of that, this group of Christians are saying, hey, listen, we're called to be different, and we have a whole new ethic and a way to do life. So again, it sounds a lot like us and our way and trying to figure things out. Verse 12, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. Now, here's an interesting thing. In this church, the evangelists that were sharing the gospel had heard the gospel, and, and they knew that because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, they're now saved, and they are forgiven of what? Sin. Of how many sins? All sins. So they're forgiven of everything. All right? So the evangelists of the day caught this, and they're like, Woo, man, I can sell this. And so here they come, and they say, Hey, I'm not allowed to do anything, but, but everything is good, but not everything is good for you. So there's these evangelists going around saying, Listen, because you say yes to Jesus, you're forgiven of everything, forgiven of everything. So now the world is your oyster. You can do anything you want because you're already forgiven. Now imagine that's our little thing. I, I start preaching that. Man, people will come and like, hey, this is the church of everything. You can do whatever you want to do because God has forgiven you. I mean, that sells, right? And so there's churches that are growing because that's selling. And so Paul is saying, look, you can do anything cut to do. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven you. However, because he's forgiven you, not everything is good for you. This sounds like parenting advice. You, you could do that, but 
I did it and it was dumb and it hurt, you know. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Because see, Paul understood that there's a slippery slope and that even though we can partake of anything, we're just one sip, one whatever away from becoming an addict and, and, and struggling with and, and, and getting enslaved to. And, and, and a slave, see, a slave is owned by, a slave is mastered by, a slave is told to do what by. So you have this habit, you have this thing that you're trying to get away from, but that you are literally shackled to and you cannot get away from it because it has owned you because you have submitted to it. And so what Paul is saying to us is you are now a friend, a child of God, and also in that relationship, you've submitted yourself as owned by Jesus Christ. You are a slave to him, and he owns you, but you know that he owns you, and he is going to pursue good things for you and provide life for you. But for some reason, we continue to submit to other things that own us and move us and hurt us and aren't good for us. Everything is permissible, but not everything is good. Verse 13, you say food was made for the stomach and stomach was for the food. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, y'all are still thinking about getting awake. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. In other words, we won't have the need for those things because we'll be in heaven. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. Well, he's getting in. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares for our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Now, here's something that that magically, mystically happens. And I I don't know how to explain it other than to say it happens. And it's one of those things that whenever you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and you're kind of explaining what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you can't explain it other than to say until you experience it you can't understand it and so that moment that you said yes to jesus is the moment that the holy spirit invades us and takes residence with inside of us and so that that now we're not just i'm not just chris anymore but now i am chris the temple of the holy god because the Holy Spirit, we've deposited of inheritance, has been taken and put with inside of us. And so now in here, there's a throne room. And the throne room used to be mine, where I was king of my kingdom. But now when I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence on the throne here. And now he is king. God is king. And, and so something radically changes. And so we are now a holy temple. And so Paul is teaching something radical for these people because these people were Greeks and the flesh was bad. The flesh was a bad thing. And so, you know what, the flesh was, you you push that stuff away. And so that's this is part of this. And so now Paul is saying, listen, no, God created you. He created your body. Your body is good. When he created, he looked at you and said it was good. And now when you've said yes to him, the spirit of the living God is taking residence and he's on the throne room of your heart and you are a temple. So everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say, everything you watch is an act of worship. 
Well, that's radically different. So think about that when you go to school, when you go to work, when you go to play, when you go to the do things, that is actually worship because God is there because you are there. So you're literally opening up the curtain and the doors of your heart and worship. We can open it up. Worship is happening. That is what's supposed to be coming out of us because we're giving worth to him because he has purchased us out of he's redeemed us from slavery and bought us with a great price. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which part of part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. Again, here. From the very beginning of the Old Testament, all throughout. When man and woman share a moment of intimacy, the scriptures say that their souls mingle. In that moment of intimacy, the souls mingle. And when those souls mingle, that there's actually an establishment of a covenant between those two. And so so now we have this this whole thing of, of here... Two have become one. They've established a covenant. There's a mingling of the souls, and, and the Holy Spirit resides with inside of us. So this is a place of worship. And so that as Christians, that, that every time that there's a, a moment of intimacy, this, this is worship as well. And so all of this is happening. And, and so that every time that we break that covenant, every time that we enter out of and, and move away from that covenant relationship that we've established with that person, it hurts. So this is one of the things that that I've teach young people and have taught for a long time, and and that this is why multiple intimate relationships. And in the culture, I was even listening to a podcast this week, and one of the things that they discussed was that it's extremely difficult to have casual sex because people get attached. And I was like, the Bible says so. Because your soul has mingled. You can't put your finger on me. You can't. But your soul has mingled. You literally have established a covenant with that person. Because you've given over your soul. So what God is saying is in those moments, we've established this covenant. This is a place of worship. And that the this, this stuff that we're struggling with is that, that we should be raising allegiance to the flag of God and that this is his kingdom here now. That this is an act of worship. But, but I struggle with trusting that he's going to be good. And so in those moments where I see something that, that looks appealing to me, and so I see the apple and it's appealing, and, and I think maybe this time it'll be different, this time it'll, it'll, it'll be fulfilling, this time it'll be satisfying. And so I look at it and I process it and I rationalize it and say, Okay, God, I, I hear you, and I hear this, is, and I understand that this is a holy place, but, but I, this time this is going to be different. And so we take it, and we take a bite, and immediately, what? All that stuff, the shame, the pain, the fear, depression, the guilt, all that stuff comes rushing back because in that moment we've lowered the flag of allegiance to the king of kings and have raised the flag of allegiance to me. And I'm more important, and my needs are more important, and 
God, my hurts are so deep, you can't ever take care. You can't satisfy my needs. And I know this hasn't done it in the past, but surely this or something like this will do it. And so we keep running to it time after time after time and raising the flag. The two are united into one, but the person who's joined with the Lord, his spirit is with him. Verse 18, run from sexual sin, run from sin, not hang out with it, not just kind of come to the edge of it, but but know that you are possibly going to be addicted to this, that you are going to fall to this. And so instead of saying, hey, how close to the boundaries can I live? Instead of how close to the boundaries can I live? How can I scoot back a little bit? And so that then when people ask me, hey, why don't you X? We say, well, I could. But not everything is, all things are permissible for me. But not everything is good for me. Not everything's the best for me. And, and you know what? And, and, and I'm a child of the king, and I want to be owned by, and I want to be mastered by one person alone, and that person is the person of Jesus Christ. And so I know me. And I know that that apple, if I allow myself to get close enough and to look at it long enough and to justify it and to rationalize it, and to, to think that maybe this time it'll be different. I know me, and I know that probably most of the time I'll take it and take a bite out of it because I'm going to just be me and think this time, maybe. And when Paul says to us, don't even allow yourself to turn your eyes to get it in your peripheral vision, know you and set boundaries and not just walk but run, with all the gusto you've got, because you don't want to go there again. You don't want to be owned by that. You don't want to let that try to medicate you. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It's not going to satisfy. So run as fast as you can run. Run from these things. No other clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And to you by God, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives and bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Listen. Every single person in this room runs to something. I don't know what it is. You know. You know mine. You run to something. Instead of running away from, you run to justifying the entire time. So here's, here's what we need to do. Number one, we're all admitting that we're, we're tied to something other than Jesus at times. And our heart is to be Jesus and to pursue Jesus and only Jesus and to be addicted to Jesus. But we're imperfect people and it's not going to happen. So find someone and tell them. Hey, I'm Chris, and I like what a burger. I said water burger last night to the Vieques group from Puerto Rico, and they're like, "Why would you have a burger full of water?" What you know? I mean, they're thinking this whole thing, and I'm like, "No, it's." I was like, "I know that's my Texas accent with the cold." You got to take a water burger. Yeah, we did. I mean, I, we blessed them with 
I mean, it was, we prayed over it, and it, it was like the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, it was in Bastrop, so it wasn't quite as good, but, you know. Um, so, you, you know, but I'm Chris. This is my deal. Here's where I'm at, and begin to be known. Because, again, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, our natural inclination is those things that, that we struggle with the most. Instead of being open with those things, with people that we can trust, we run away from and we press out of community instead of pressing in. So tell someone. Some of you, your addiction is more than just what I would call the casual, hey, I struggle with this or I struggle with that, but it's something that truly, 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 truly owns you. And you are fully preoccupied with it. You are changing your schedule. You hope no one would ever know that you struggle with this. You need to one tell someone, but you probably need counseling. You might need rehab. You might need an intensive time away to be focused on your stuff and who Jesus is and that he satisfies. I think one of the missing components in today's American church is accountability and that someone knows you and that and someone knowing you, that also means that someone can love you and love you deeply and love you well and know you for who you truly are. And that most of us long for someone to know us and to love us. And there is no better place for that to happen than within the church. Because that is why I believe that Christ invented the church is so that sick people could come together and pursue being healthy followers of Jesus as we move toward the Son of God. And again, I think we have a tendency to pretend and clean up and to pretend that that we're visiting the hospital, not actually patients, when we're the patients. And so that we need to find accountability so the doctor can heal. And we just need community. We need community. We've talked about it time and time again. I know it feels like beating a dead horse sometimes, but, but we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Again, I mean, churches are closing at a rapid rate. We're not, not only are we not reaching people, we're losing people because we're not being honest. I think for the last 50 years, maybe in the American church, we've just been pretending to do church. And look, I, I got other things to do. I don't get paid that much money. But I want you to know Jesus. Because it can change your life. And we rub shoulders with people at work and at school and at games and at the stuff that we do, even in LaGrange, Texas, at HEB and Walmart, that are raising the flag of allegiance to themselves. And they want to know the King of Kings. Because they're tired of grabbing the same old beat-up used fruit and vegetables And they're tired of letting the water come down so that it makes it look prettier and fresh when it's nasty and out of date. You don't have to settle for it either. Quit settling for it. He's got the best for you. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you that you bring peace 
that you truly bring peace that passes understanding. You bring joy that is complete. Father, that you do satisfy, that you meet the exact needs that we need in that moment. Even though we may think we want more, you provide exactly what we need. Father, I pray for each one in this room as we've, over this last 20 minutes, been thinking about this, that, Lord, that the things that they've been thinking about, that, man, I hope no one knows this. I hope Pastor Chris doesn't know this. I don't want anybody to know this about me, that, Father, they would just find someone to tell them, look, look, this is who I am. And I'm tired of eating junk that's got great preservatives and all that that Father doesn't satisfy. I want you and you alone. May I run away from the other stuff. May I run to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.